uh, want to invite um, Nathan and Jamin up. They're going to be um, reading our passage. So, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me. To proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who have who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the, renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd their, your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord and you, you will be named ministers of our God. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so now we're gonna pray. Jesus, I just want to say thank you for all you've given me this year and all you've shown me and Jamin. Um, just that I pray that everyone's 2020 will either be better or if this was a good year for some people that, yeah, it'll just get better because we've just grown in our faith, I guess. I don't really know. But, um, but just I pray for a good coming into 2020 and a good exit out of 2019. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thanks, guys. Can we give a hand clap for these two? Um, on the fifth Sunday, uh, whenever there's a fifth Sunday, we uh, just designate that as a Kids City Sunday. Uh, and so we try and involve some of the young people uh, in our congregation into the life of the liturgy. Um, the fifth Sunday is actually next week. We're not going to be here. We don't want to deny uh, the young people an opportunity to sort of guide us and lead us. And so uh, what you're seeing is, is some of the um, manifestations of, of us really wanting to listen well to the young people in our midst and the ways that they are following Jesus as well. Um, so all that's a good morning, church. Uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, yes. Hey, if you needed, I don't know that you need a reminder, but if you need a reminder, I just want you to know that you have three days left until Christmas, three shopping days left until Christmas. Now, some of you, I know that some of you are last minute, sort of the last minute uh, shopper. So I, I did the math for you and you currently have 3,720 minutes left until Christmas. So all that to say, there's time. Uh, so you can sort of launch out of here. This, this Christmas season, this holiday season, is uh, marked off in the Christian calendar. It's called Advent. Um, and Advent is an English word with Latin roots that means arrival or coming, as in the advent of spring or the advent of a new era. And when identified as a season within the Christian calendar, the season of Advent is a season in uh, which the church begins to look back at Jesus' first arrival um, as a baby in a manger in Bethlehem. And looking back at that event, we remember that the God of the universe uh, took on flesh and blood and became a human in the form of Jesus. Jesus lived among us. He lived as we did. He taught us about God's kingdom and demonstrated what God's kingdom would look like in our midst. Jesus, who gave up his life as a sacrifice for our sins and the sins of the world on the cross, Jesus died but was raised to life, signaling to us and to the world that sin, all of sin, was defeated. And so Jesus would return to heaven, but he left the Holy Spirit to live with us and in us. 
and so that that spirit might guide us in life and faith so that we might live our lives with God's power and God's wisdom and tenderness and strength and endurance and compassion and God's justice. So what Advent is, is it's the season when we look back at Jesus first coming to the world and the holiday that's celebrated during the season of Advent is Christmas, a celebration of Jesus' birth. Advent is a, is a looking back. It's the four weeks leading up to, to Christmas. But it's also a looking forward because Jesus said that he would come again and when he returned the second time, he would finally and completely and faithfully complete and finish all that was begun. He would finish all the healing, all the restoring, all the renewing, all the fixing that he began when he was here the first time. And that we are to continue doing this now those of us that follow Jesus and have his spirit living with us in anticipation of when he comes again. And so Advent is a, is a looking forward to the day when, when Christ returns. And as we move through this Advent season, the guiding theme for us this year has been anticipating Advent. We've been looking back at the ways that our spiritual forefathers and foremothers in the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Isaiah, anticipated the coming of Jesus and the inbreaking coming of God's kingdom. And our hope in looking back at this in the book of Isaiah and the ways that the saints lived faithfully in anticipation, we might find wisdom on how we ought to now live as we anticipate the next coming of Jesus. We want to live as an Advent people. And that means that we live as those living, um, the living lovingly and joyfully and hopefully and peacefully in anticipation of the day when Christ returns and sets all things right and makes all things new and makes all things just. So this morning, we're going to be looking at Isaiah 61, a passage that describes for the, for the people of God what life would look like when Jesus comes, and that describes for us today what it will look like when Jesus returns. And so to get us thinking about Isaiah 61, I want to invite Kid City Director and Minister Extraordinaire, Nikki Wiggins, uh, to get us kicked off. Good morning. I'm Nikki. I am happy to be here and be bringing part of the word. Um, so I'm going to start with a story. Um, when we, I mean, the kids have been talking about uh, Christmas and like what that means and we're learning like it doesn't mean we're waiting for gifts, right? We have talked about what the real gift of Christmas is and things like that. So I'm going to tell you about the best gift that I have given someone, right? So I was about 10 or 12 years old, between those ages, and my parents gave me money to go shopping um, to buy my Christmas gifts. And so I got everybody out of the way except my dad. And he was like, you don't have to buy me anything, but if you know me, you know that gift giving is one of my love languages, right? So I was like, no, I will find you a gift that you will love, and I'm going to get it. He said, no ties, no undershirts. No underwear, and I was like, oh my God, like I don't know what to, what to do. So I was in Walmart, and I was walking, I was like, I found it. I found the perfect gift. It was a manicure set and a leather case, and all the utensils were like this really pretty shiny gold, right? And so I get home, I'm super excited to show my sister and my mom, and my sister's like, you bought that for dad? And I was like, yeah, like this is gonna be, a great gift and she was like I cannot believe that you bought him this manicure set for Christmas and I was like well what'd you get him whatever so <laughs> um but I cried I, I was 
like my sister like drug me y'all it was real bad and so like I cried and I was like I, it was no more time to get him a gift and I was like well, I'm just rapping and I hope he likes it well he loved it and so I called him yesterday and I was like dad do you remember the the um leather manicure set I bought you and he goes yeah and I go was that a good Christmas gift he was like yeah I still use it till this day and I was like oh he was like I have all the pieces the leather's a little worn but I have like it was a really good gift and I said, do you remember Courtney dragging me, my sister, about buying you this gift? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, you still have all the pieces? You still use it? So I called my sister. <laughs> and I was like, that was a good gift. How dare you mock me when I am 10, 12 years old. Um, but I want you to take a few minutes um, to, three minutes, how about that, um, to tell your neighbor what's the best gift that you have given someone and why was it the best gift that you, you think? So why, what was the best gift you've given someone? Go. How many of you have heard about the story of Jesus' birth? How many times have you heard it, you think? A bunch? A whole lot? Ten? A million? A hundred? Yep. We're going to hear it again today. <laughs> um, but I want you to, to listen and maybe... Here's something that you may have, you may not have heard before. Um, so I pray that your ears are open and your eyes can see. Um, so yeah, uh, this is how the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was en engaged to a man named Joseph. You can talk back to. <laughs> but before the marriage took place, she was still a virgin and she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, who appeared, guys? An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have relations with her until his son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. <laughs> The greatest gift that God gave us <laughs> was the man who would die on the cross for us to save our sins so we could live an eternal life with him. Amen? All right, I'm going to call Pastor Matthew back up. If you guys want to be the um, second greatest gift that Jesus has given the kids of Kid City, you can volunteer <laughs> uh, and s serve with Kid City. That was good. This, this is the season of, of, gift, of gift giving, and so it's, it's good to actually remember not just the gifts that we received, but the gifts that we've also given. I, I, have, I, I think that as I get older, the gifts that I want, like I'm occupying two different ends of the spectrum here. That, that the older I get, that the gifts that I want are either like astronomically expensive or free. Like I don't, like there's not a middle spot. Like I either, like I either want like a chalet in the French Alps or I want a nap. Like, like it's, you know, like I want a cruise in the Caribbean 
or, you know, I just want sunsets and sunrises. You know, like it's, it's sort of these two things. It, it's, it's something that either would require me to like sell an organ or win the lottery, or it just requires a few minutes or moments of time. Uh, but what's captured in both ends of, of what I'm desiring um, is a feeling. And that feeling that I'm trying to harness, whether it be in the, in the French Alps or in the Caribbean, I'm trying to harness that feeling that all is right in the world. So when I imagine myself sort of sitting in a plush couch in the snow, kind of lightly falling, uh, you know, in, in my chalet, and my kids are playing, like, pleasantly together, uh, and, you know, my wife is sipping cocoa and doing, like, a Sudoku with a fire, I, like, I just feel like all is right in the world in that moment. Or whether it be, I'm just able to sort of watch the, the sunrise or the sunset in, in a particular place that's quite uh, idyllic and see the colors as they, as, they, as they just burst through the sky of pinks and blues that get darker and then watch the sun rise over the hill as, as I did last weekend where, when I was out of town. Like, that, like there's just that sense that all is right in the world. Things are as they ought to be. And, and maybe it's something else for you. Like maybe that's, maybe that's not for you, but maybe it's like seeing your, your team win on Sunday or, or maybe it's coming to the table and sitting down and what's in front of you is your absolute favorite meal. Or maybe it's a meal that a, that a family member prepared and that you're like, this is when I think about what a good meal is, it's always these things. Or maybe it is that like the latest gadget or a new pair of shoes or whatever the thing may be. Whatever it is, it's that thing that if you were to get your arms around it, get your hands around it, that you would say, with this, all is right in the world. The passage that Jamin and Nathan read, uh, Isaiah 61, it describes what life will be like when all is right in the world, when God finally and fully restores all that has been lost and all that has been broken because of sin's effects on the world. It bears a beautiful picture of arrival, of, of advent, of a new day and a new gloriously restored world and a restored people. Isaiah 61 is painting an image of, of wholeness and of completeness, of healedness for Israel, for the people of God at that time. And it's helpful to remember at this point in Israel's history, we've mentioned this the last few weeks, that they're, that they're being dominated by a foreign power. The Babylonians and Assyrians, they are, they are unable to govern themselves or their cities, including Jerusalem. They, the, their cities have been destroyed, been laid in ruin. Many of them are forced to leave their homelands and to live as exiles in foreign cities. And it's in a, that um, context of, of, of devastation and desolation that Isaiah is saying it won't be like this forever. That one day God will intervene and when he does, the brokenhearted will be cared for. Captives will be freed, that those that mourn will be comforted. Instead of crying, there's going to be dancing. Instead of despair, there's going to be joy. These, these marks of a place and a people, this is what it's going to look like when all is right in the world. Isaiah also talks about what's going to happen in the community, that this, this, these effects of God's arrival into our neighborhood isn't just for, for us individually, but it's actually for us communally. In verse 4 of Isaiah 61, he says, They, those that have been mourning, those that have been uh, ground down, those that have been experiencing violence and poverty, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places that have been long devastated. They will be the ones that renew the, the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. He says that the places, not just the people who've been damaged by oppression and war and violence and sin of all kinds, but the places will be rebuilt. Restoration is spiritual for sure, but it's not just spiritual. It's, it's physical. It's, it's re, it has real-world implications. 
a couple of months ago in Kid City, um, the kiddos were looking at passages like Isaiah 61 and others that talk about the ways that God will renew our world and how the gospel affects the lives of people and affects the places that people call home. They listed out things that for them uh, represented sort of ruin and devastation and pain. And they wrote them on these uh, construction paper, and uh, they illustrated them on banner paper. And we have some images of it. They, they, they listed uh, in their Sunday school class, they listed things like hunger. They listed things that represented when people don't have enough to eat, especially the 736 million people worldwide that live in extreme poverty or less than a dollar a day. They wrote that out on one Sunday. They wrote out things like homelessness, recognizing that families and individuals are experiencing um, homelessness. Uh, in D.C. alone, over 6,500 people. They listed out and illustrated aspects of violence. Violence in our city and violence globally. Outbreaks of an epidemic of violence and the ways that that ravages a place and a people. And then they listed for the ways that children aren't cared for or aren't shown compassion whether it be because of um, a breakdown in education or families or systems and structures that provide safe haven for children when they're vulnerable. But what was also inspiring um, is that the children in Kids City is that they spent time doing two things when they listed this out. The first was that they spent time praying for the issues that they wrote down on the paper and that they illustrated. And then second, they spent time considering what uh, and imagining how they could respond to the needs that were, that were on their hearts as, as, a, as, an, uh, as an expression of anticipating Advent. They said, here's a way that we could respond. Here's a way for us to live into the reality that one day Jesus will make all things right and new and just and true. And until then, until Jesus returns, what it means for us as followers of Jesus, as the church, that we're to be an instrument, that we're to be a sign and a foretaste of that great day of renewal. That we're to be an instrument, that we're to be used by God, by the Holy Spirit, to participate in the renewal and the redemption that will ultimately come through Christ. We're to be an instrument. We're also to be a sign. We're to be a signpost to each other and especially to an unbelieving world that hope and healing and health and justice and righteousness is on the way and it's possible. And that we're to be a, a foretaste. That, that, that as we, um, together as a community of faith, we are to embody the compassionate and right setting for which we ache. And in so doing, be a foretaste of that great banquet that Jesus promised. The connection between Isaiah 61 and Christmas is actually made through Luke 4. In this passage, Jesus preaches his first sermon in a synagogue in his hometown. This is, you see, right after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he and his family, they have to flee to Egypt because of a wicked king's decree that all male children would be killed. It's, it was an, inf an infanticide, a child killing that became the law, that became the, the public policy of the land. And so, Jesus is born in a manger in Bethlehem, and then Mary, Joseph, and Jesus are on the run because of sin and violence and oppression. But they would later return to Israel when the wicked king died, and they settled in the town just north of Bethlehem called Nazareth. And it was here that Jesus was raised, and it was here where he grew up. Nazareth it certainly wasn't a huge town then. It's not a huge town now. It's right now, it's actually about half the size of southeast D.C. And so Joseph and Mary and Jesus, they would have been well known by those in that, in that town. Jesus would have been watched by neighbors as he, as he grew. 
They would have known who Jesus was because they would have watched him uh, as he was educated, as he went to school. They would have watched him play. They would have watched him sweat. They would have uh, watched him and his friends. They would have watched him learn his, the carpenter's trade from his dad. Jesus' life would have, would have been a bit on display, as it can be in small towns. In, in much the same way, we watched our own kids grow up here in Kid City. As we watched them play, as we watched them learn, as we watched them be baptized, as we've um, watched them in athletic pursuits and academic pursuits here as a church. We've watched you go and come back from summer camp and Kid City camps and other things. It would have been similar for Jesus. And yet after growing up, Jesus then comes back to this same synagogue, presumably the synagogue that he would have grown up in, and he begins preaching. And what he says in Luke 4 it's the same thing that Isaiah says in 61. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. He, Jesus, went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read in the scroll of the prophet. Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. He unrolled it all the way to Isaiah 61. And he read, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, and he went and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue, they're watching him. It's Jesus. And he began saying to them, Today, this scripture, this Isaiah 61, is fulfilled in your hearing. What he was saying is, I, I'm the fulfillment of this. Jesus preaches Isaiah 61 to those uh, and he says to those that are gathered here, I'm here to set things right. In me, you will find the freedom. In me, uh, those that are blind will find sight. In me, those that are bound up will find liberation. In me, comfort is found, beauty is found, joy is found, splendor is found. And he's saying that he's the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. And as much as anything else, I think for us that live in between these two Advents, this actually is the purpose for Christmas and for Advent. For us, it's to remember that Jesus is the one that we've hoped for and that we've longed for. That in him, we find our hope for the renewal of our souls and the renewal of all things that ail our world. This was the gift that Jesus was giving. This is the gift that he gave that, that Christmas, that first Christmas, and the gift that he extends to us in every Christmas and actually every moment of every day. The gift of relationship with him and the gift of joining with him in the renewal of all things. I mean, this gift that Jesus gives and this invitation, it's actually bound up even in the greeting that we extend to each other this time of year. When we say to each other, Merry Christmas. Christmas, um, I don't know if you ever thought of like, what is that word? Like, where does it come from? But Christmas is actually a, an Englishized version of a Latin phrase, for Christ's Mass. Uh, so if you think Christmas, it's just sort of they put Christ's Mass together, and it's, you follow me, Christmas? Good, perfect, great. Um, mass is a religious service. Um, when you hear, I'm going to Mass, it's a religious service. It's often associated with the Catholic Church, I'm, I'm going to Mass. And the word Mass, um, as a religious service, it's actually a phrase that was uttered by the priests at the conclusion of the service. The, f the phrase that they would utter at the conclusion of the of the religious services was ite misse est. Ite misse est. Some of you Latin scholars will forgive me for my pronunciation. And it meant go, depart, or be dismissed. 
That, that, that middle word, misse, is uh, transliterated. It's turned into an English word as mass. But, but the word uh, is the same root for, for missio, or that we would call mission. Meaning that when the priest would pronounce over the congregation that was gathered there to remember the life and teachings and work and death and resurrection of Jesus, when, they, when the gathering was finished, what the priest would pronounce over the, the congregation is a commissioning. Ite misse est, reminding them that what is next for them is their misse, is their, is their missio, is their mission, their mission to join Christ in the renewing work of all things in the world. That his work of proclaiming good news to the poor, his work of uh, freedom for the prisoners, of dismantling oppression and giving beauty for ashes. That the concluding statement was a commissioning to go and be on mission with the Christ that was born in a manger. That's the original meaning of, of mass, of Christmas, of Christ's mass. It's a word that, that has bound up in this gift to remember that Jesus is the hope of our lives, that Jesus is the hope of our city, that Jesus is the hope of our country, and in him uh, rests our longed-for hopes. And Christmas, Christ's mass, is an invitation to join him in clothing the naked, in feeding the hungry, in caring for the prisoner, in providing refuge for the foreigner, because it points to the day, that full day, when we see the full advent of Jesus again. And while we are here, while we anticipate the advent of Christ's return, the way that we live faithfully is to be instruments, instruments, signs, and foretastes of God's inbreaking kingdom. That's Christmas. That's Christ's mass. That's his gift and his invitation to us. And so my prayer for us this week, and not just this week, but forever, church, is that we let this good news, this gift and invitation, shape the way that we see this holiday that happens this week, that we see our nativity sets different, with greater regard and deeper depth, that we sing these Christmas Christmas carols with a deeper sobriety and a richer hope and that we look each other in the eye and we say to one another Merry Christmas with joy and with commissioning commissioning each other into Christ's world to join with God in the renewal of all things Amen and Merry Christmas let me pray for us Spirit of God, we, we invite you into this place and, and into this moment, God. Considering this great gift that you have extended to us in the birth of Jesus, in the person of Jesus, in the work of Jesus, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. The Spirit of Christ that lives in us as those that have placed our faith and our trust in you. God, I pray that, e that even in this moment that we would, that we would consider well the, the gift and the invitation that Jesus extends to us in the celebration of Christmas. The invitation to, 
know that, that whatever mess we've made of our souls or our lives, that you are our hope and that we can come to you right now straightway. There's nothing else that's required but, but surrender. And God, for others of us, it's, it's, it's not our own individual lives that we're that we ache for, but it's areas of our world that, that are broken, that are hurting and that are aching for the hope that's found in Jesus. God, wh- whatever the move is, whether it's for us personally or our relationship or an aspect of our world, God, I pray that we would turn to you, that we would remember the, the gift and the invitation to say yes to you. And we would remember the, the, the commission that comes to us. God, and I pray that we would respond. We would surrender to you and that we would join you. And that this Christmas would be a new, a new chapter for us, a new season for us in life with you. I pray these things. In the name of the one that was born in the manger. It is in Jesus' name, amen.